Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast night on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard this inspirational flight with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, Mr. Man of Purpose himself, your host, J.R. Dicklin. founder and CEO here at the Soul of America Radio. It is with much sadness that we give this special announcement, but it is necessary. On behalf of the staff here at the Soul of America Radio, we give out and offer our deepest sympathies for the families of the children who were massacred at the Sandy Hook Elementary School this past Friday. And from what I'm understanding, the small community of Newton, Connecticut, has now started the funeral proceedings, and they will face many more funerals within the next few days. So we offer our condolences, we offer our sympathies, and we offer our prayers. And I do so on behalf of the staff here at the Soul of America Radio. And before we begin tonight's broadcast, which is scheduled uh, to be Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness with Jay Thicklin. We will first have the first hour he will talk about this tragedy and you can call him to make any comments or share your feelings. Before we begin tonight's broadcast, I did want to ask each of you within our listening audience to bow your head for a few moments of silence followed by a special song 
that we're dedicating to the families and even the victims of this horrible tragedy. Thank you, and may God bless you, your family, and this nation. And now, our moment of silence.
Coast. East to West. This is the Soul of America Radio. My name is Bernadette Stannis, and you know me as Noma from the TV show Good Times. And I am hanging out with Tony on the Soul of America Radio.
welcome, welcome to Hope and Healing. That's right, a journey to wholeness. You're listening to your hosts here. This is J.R. Thicklin, and I am so glad that you've joined us. I do apologize for that delay there, but we have an exciting show that is lined up for you tonight, a very exciting show, and uh, absolutely, we're so glad to have you. I do thank uh, Ms. Salling for just standing in there for me for a moment there, and we're looking forward to a tremendous show tonight. So many of you uh, tonight uh, are so aware, and I think the whole nation is aware of the most horrific tragedy that we've seen in some time uh, that occurred here just on this past Friday in a little small town called Newton, uh, Newtown, Connecticut. And uh, uh, we all know now that uh, some 26 uh, individuals were killed, 20 of them being young children, very young children. And on last night we even heard the president uh, as he went there to Newtown, uh, Connecticut, and began to not only offer the prayers of the nation, but the support of the nation to these families that's been impacted by this tragedy at Newtown, Connecticut. And uh, I'm so very, very saddened in my heart when I think about the, um, the nature and the magnitude of what took place. And really, what does that say about us as a nation? What does that say about us as a country? You know, is this becoming the norm? And part of President Obama's speech was the fact that we cannot afford to allow this to become the norm. We cannot afford to allow this to become just another a part of our society because we're too great and we're too strong for this. And so we have to be in a place where we know that uh, these type of things are prevented, where these type of things are taken seriously, where these type of things are, are not acceptable, and we just cannot allow it to happen. So on uh, tonight, as we are on this special edition show here, and where we're going to talk about not only the horrific, the horrific tragedy that took place there at Sandy uh, Hook Elementary School there in Newtown, Connecticut, but we're also are going to be talking about violence itself. Are we now living in a culture of violence? Is slowly we are becoming a culture of violence where we're seeing mass murders taking place. I mean, President Obama uh, alluded to it in his speech last night when he began to talk about this was the fourth mass murder that he has seen since this time that have occurred since this time in office. And we've seen it. We know about Aurora, Colorado. We know about what happened there uh, there in Wisconsin. We know what has happened uh, there last year in um Arizona there uh, with the former senator. And so, uh, you know, there's so much that have happened and that we have to talk about. You know, uh, so much of our time here on Hope and Healing is addressing domestic violence and, and violence of that sort. But we're talking about a culture of violence that transcends so many different ways. And I think there's not a person under the sound of our voice that have not been shaken or touched deeply by what took place in Newtown, Connecticut, on last Friday, and I think that we have to consider the fact that this this cannot become the norm. This cannot become the norm. So if you're joining us tonight, I'm so glad that you are here on Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, right here on Soul of America Radio, and um, we're glad to have you. I have a very special guest, a friend and a colleague is with me in just a few, uh, just a few minutes. I'm going to bring her on live on the air, and I'm just going to give those of you that may be listening by Internet, uh, area code 323-784-9638. For those of you that are not, uh, area code 323 323- Seven eight four nine six three eight. We invite you even now to call in, uh, listen to it. Very important discussion tonight. And if you have a comment or question, please just hit the uh, one. That's right. Hit uh, one on your 
keypad there, and that will let our engineer know that you have something to say, and we will acknowledge you. So I want to make sure that in our time together tonight that uh, that we will all uh, have a, something that we can come out with that is positive, and that we may look that we may look at what's happening in our society, what's happening in our neighborhood. I thought President Obama put it very well last night when he said that it could have happened in, at any school in America. It could have happened at any city in America. So the reality is is that what has led to this, and we need to be prepared to talk about this. This is not something that we're going to um, sweep up on a rug. This is not something that we're going to allow to go unaddressed, but rather – we're going to actually bring up this. We're going to talk about patterns. We're going to talk about, you know, how did we get here and what do we do as a nation? And I think before we even talk about what we do as a nation, I think we have to examine what can we do as individuals? What can we do? What are the things that we really need to address in this country, in this society of ours? What is it that we need to confront? What is it that we need to face in order to have safer communities, in order for our children to be able to go to school and not be afraid? And so with that in mind, I'm just so very happy to have a very special guest with us uh, tonight, and I'm going to bring her on. This is my dear friend, um, and um, uh, this is my dear friend, uh, professor, adjunct professor there at uh, one of the colleges there outside of Detroit. Uh, she's also is a co-author with me inside of a uh, some work that we have done together with the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African American Community, and I want to welcome tonight our dear friend and guest, a professor, my sister, evangelist, uh, Ladonna Coons. Welcome to the show tonight. <laughs> Good evening, Pastor Thicklin. How are you? I am doing great. I am so glad to have you on with us tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's a tr- it's a a wonderful pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, by all means, you know I you know we've been trying to get this to happen for a little bit, and of course we initially <laughs> initially we're going to get a chance to talk about the area that you and I spent a lot of time with, and that's the area of domestic violence. And then we had the, the horrific, the horrific, tragic incident that yes. happened on this past Friday there in Newtown, Connecticut, and I think, I don't know a person alive, I don't know a parent alive that doesn't feel this sickness in their stomach uh, and this sense of great sorrow uh, for those victims of this tragedy, and especially those 20 children, but their parents, their siblings, their their neighborhood, their Sunday school teacher, you know, the, the fellow classmates, uh, I mean, you name it. Everyone has been been uh, totally affected by this, and it. Uh, and one of the questions I ask, you know, and it's one of the things I propose is that the fact that in light of what we've seen, in light of what took place at Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut, in light of what we've seen take place there at uh, in Aurora, Colorado, at the movie theater, in light of what we've seen happen last year to uh, there with uh, uh, what was it, Congresswoman G- uh, Gabby. Uh, there out in uh, Arizona, and a lot of what we've seen happen there at the, uh, there in Wisconsin and other places, are we living in a culture of violence? Is our nation becoming more and more um, uh, violent? Are we becoming a, a tolerable culture of violence? And that question, you know, definitely rings in my heart. But the reality is, is I'm wondering how many people actually look at that. When we look at the many things that have happened, I mean, the most recent things, of course, is what we uh, – so happened last Friday, but we're talking about going back many years now. We're talking about the the Columbines. We're talking about the Paducah, Kentucky. We're talking about uh, so many other areas where we're seeing mass school shootings and mass shootings take place. 
are we now living? Are we more and more headed toward a culture of violence where somehow or another we've learned to tolerate it? Well, I tell you um, that the whole episode at Sandy Cook Elementary, it, it I think triggered a crisis in everybody's heart around the world. And it did. It made us think about, you know, it, it it made us finally, you know, think, you know, what is really going on in our in our country? You know, we are the forerunner of any country in the world, and and we have more murders here than any other industrialized country in the world as well. You know, we we don't have um, uh, the gun control that we need in this country, and it has sparked a debate. It's been a long time debate about uh, violence in our country and about the ability to obtain assault weapons and semi-automatic weapons. And, you know, President Clinton has signed a a weapons bill on banning uh, weapons uh, back in the 90s, but since then that that has expired. And uh, it has not been reissued again. And, you know, we do live in a violent culture. You know, our media, our television shows, uh, what we see at the movies, um, you know, it, it excites people uh, to see things blown up and, you know, a lot of these video games where, you know, they're chopping each other's heads off and you have to give a rating. I never thought I'd see the day where you have to give a rating to a video game that children are playing with. Well, but I think we, it speaks to what you're saying, that that, mm-hmm. that we have become slowly but surely a very violent culture and that violence yeah. is almost entertainment Violence is what brings in money. Violence is what causes people to flood the box office, and uh, and violence is there. And uh, and it gets to a point where we it's hard to delineate between where art is imitating life or life is imitating art. And that's so true. And and the more you see, and the younger that um, our young people are exposed to it, you become desensitized. You know, it and almost becomes like this is going to be the norm, you know, for our society. And unfortunately, you're exactly right, because the fact mm-hmm. when this has become, and it seems to be that norm for our society, when you consider the fact that even now, I mean, when you talk about ratings on, on a game, I mean, I mean, we come from the era of the little Atari when it was first coming out. Right. And you had right. to bling and bling, and you could just speed it up, mm-hmm. and that determined whether you was a beginner or, <laughs> or, or amateur right. or pro. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, mm-hmm. still now we're, li- we're living in a day and time where the games are so real. They're so real. Right. Even with the animation of real blood, the animation of, of people mm-hmm. being decapitated mm-hmm. or real pain, mm-hmm. and I think we become desensitized yeah. as a nation. Yes, and and it's it's geared to desensitize our children too. Um, to where, you know, it's just it doesn't phase them anymore to see things happen on television. Um, even, you know, the, the, some of the newer things that are on TV, like Night of the Living Dead, you know, and, and just the things that are really going on there, it's really graphic, and it's got like a cult following, you know. And I'm like, wow, you know, what are we going to do? Where are we going to draw the lines? Because we are really, like President Obama was saying, we are responsible for, uh, um, you know, we, we're just responsible for taking care of our kids and our communities better than that. We've got to be more responsible than this. And, and, and most definitely, and you said something earlier, and it has sparked another, should I say, it has revitalized the whole argument again about gun control and those things. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed that when I continue to hear those that defend uh, the whole liberty of guns, they said that, well, if you do that, then, you know, basically uh, – 
they consider law-abiding citizens won't have a way to protect themselves. And I, I continue to look at the fact that if we don't do something about it, law-abiding citizens are going to be at the mercy of these uh, individuals with assault weapons and semi-automatics and all these things that are happening here. I mean, to the point that we're talking, we're not talking about excuse me, the 22 and the 38 of the days of old. We're talking about, I mean, weaponry that is used in the military. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is no reason why someone should have an AK-47 in their possession in in a communities of you know in in a uh, a civilian community. You know, there's just no reason you know for you to have that. And then where you have the intersection between um, these guns and, and mental illness. You know, they were talking a lot about you know that the the perpetrator that took his own life you know struggled with mental illness for many years. And you know, you have an intersection between that and anybody can. And then the stigma behind that. And and uh, that you know that the country is wanting to address and and uh, the fact that people who have mental illness can get a handgun or can get these assault rifles and that's a, a whole other issue. You know they saw I think it was Gabby Gifford I think when she was shot um, and people thought you know that was going to trigger something in the federal government to make them do something about these guns. Um, but it didn't. But I think really the Sandy Cook Elementary there's something different about it this time. I really think that um, it's it's in the forefront in the world in our in our country because everybody's a father and everybody's a mother and a grandmother and you know uh, like the uh, mayor or the governor of New York says it's a sad day when we have to worry about our kids they can't even go to school and learn their ABCs without um, having a risk you know of having their little lives taken. You know, and that's exactly right. It's a scary feeling. It's a sad thing. You know, when the innocency of being able to say, you know, a kid can go and learn the ABCs, not have to have mm-hmm. fear of nothing like that, when children can mm-hmm. go, and it was a great place to go to look forward to, and now we're dealing with a whole different environment all over the country. Uh, today, many parents have had to make decisions and made very reluctant mm-hmm. decisions whether mm-hmm. or not to send their mm-hmm. kids back to school. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and one might say, well, you know, that's out of fear, but it's also out of a caution because people now are saying, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, we, don't know what to ex- we don't know what to expect when we get there. And that's mm-hmm. a sad place to be in a civilized country. On one end, mm-hmm. we know we, we, we brag about all the things. We talk about all the things about our nation, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. great things. But we have some serious issues at the mm-hmm. core. And I believe that this year has helped to magnify it, has helped to magnify it to a point where exactly we have to concern, be concerned about the quality and the value of life, you know, and whether mm-hmm. it's mental illness or whatever, we need to take another look. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need to take a look, another look at how we handle mental illness in this country, mm-hmm. how we look at mental illness in this country, how we really treat mental illness in this country, and we've got to stop ostracizing it. We got to stop tiptoeing around it and recognizing that and recognize that it is a real illness, and we have to do something about it. And yeah, that's one thing we certainly do, and take the stigma out of it. You know, um, there's a profile in the type of individuals that um, uh, commit these type of crimes, these type of mass murders. But also, you know, the government also has to um, go head on and take on the NRA. 
you know, because they have been bullying politicians and they have very deep pockets now, you know, for years. You know, they want the ability to be a militia and to, to, you know, take up arms and defend yourself. Um, but it's the NRA, the National Rifle Association, that really everybody, that bullies everybody in Washington um, about this gun control. And, you know, President Obama, you know, he said it. He said, you know, well, you know, we're going to have to, he's going to use his office and his political might to do what he can to start turning things around because, you know, um, you don't want, we're tired of this, you know, the the innocent loss of life um, for no reason at all. There's no reason for anybody to have those type of weapons in their home. It's just no reason. I mean, you don't go hunting with that. You don't go hunting with the AK-47. I mean, you wouldn't have nothing left. I mean, what did you hunt for? I mean, you don't hunt with that. I mean, that is meant to be exactly what it's an assault rifle. It was meant Mm -hmm. to be used Mm -hmm. against the enemy, and the enemy Mm -hmm. normally those that are threatening our liberties that is abroad. Mhm, mhm. Yes, yes. No, they don't, there, there is no reason for us to have, and for anybody to have, and uh, those, that type of weaponry. And I can't remember the gentleman's name that was on Pierce Morgan just last night or the night before last. He wrote a book and saying, you know, that uh, the teacher um, that was killed in the school. Um, and, and geez, I've said her name a couple of times even today, and now it escapes me, that if she had had a gun herself, that she would have been able to do something about it, you know, if the teachers were armed. And I thought that was such a sad uh, commentary for him to say that. So now, you know, it's supposed to be shoot out at the OK Corral in an elementary school. You shoot me, shoot at me, I'm going to shoot at you. And Unfortunately, here in Michigan, we're wrestling with this governor who is, you know, getting ready to sign a bill that will allow people to to have guns in churches, in elementary schools, uh, and everywhere else. So you're you're going to be able to to you know carry a gun. And my thing is, even if that's so, and you don't have to use, it, what if the thing goes off accidentally, you know, in an elementary school or in a church? Someone's in a church and the gun goes off at accidentally. You know, and I heard about that, and I was disturbed when I heard that as well. I mean, where do we stop? Once again, we continue to, you know, on one end, the NRA and other groups such as that, they want to talk about the fact when we start talking about gun law and gun law control and reform that that's an infringement upon our our freedoms. But when are we going to understand that freedom does not mean the absence of boundaries? And we have to have boundaries. Are we going to continue to see these type of things happen here? And I'm just wondering, I mean, what are they so afraid of that they're, they're afraid enough to intimidate so many other people and so many other sources and so many other entities and so many, like you said, you've got lobbyists for the NRA who are very powerful lobbyists. You've got, you've got people with the NRA that continuously, and I do mean continuously, you know, back – I mean, pay people off or are moved to get people to uh, not only to do their bidding, but it continuously put us at a disadvantage. It continuously yes. causes these type of things here. And I understand, you know, the medical shade. Well, you know, guns don't kill, but people kill. But if you give people, if people are getting access to guns that should not have access to guns, then we have mm-hmm. a problem. And we have to look a little deeper than that because not one of these children, not one of these precious souls deserved to have experienced the fate that they've experienced. Not one of them right. deserved to right. have to 
do I mean, there are parents whose hearts are broken. There are schools who have empty chairs and empty desks. There are individuals there in the community that this won't seem like a holiday season to them. It will seem like right. a very, very, uh, very, very uh, somber time, a time where their, yeah. their hearts are mourning. And it's not because of something that the kids did, but because this type of weaponry fell into the hands of a wrong individual. Of the wrong and, individual. And, exactly. and, and we, we exactly. have to look at that, but we as a culture, we bang, bang. We look for, to violence. We're seeing it happen more and more, you know, guns everywhere. And you're talking about here is a law that's getting ready to be signed to allow people to carry guns. In, in elementary schools. In, in elementary Jeff, schools. Churches in elementary schools, they're going to be able to carry them in anywhere they want to carry them now. You're going to be able to allow to have a gun. And, you know, I don't understand, you know, um, some of the things that they could put in place, you know, are background checks or registrations, and, you know, they don't want to do any of that. So we are really, we have been praying here in Michigan, and a lot of people are really upset you know, at the fact that the governor would sign this type of bill, you know, but he, I mean, we have some type of governor here, you know, he just did the right to work, you know, bill he signed, you know, without any, any other vote on that too. So, you know, we've got a lot going on here in Michigan. You know, and it's a sad commentary, very sad commentary, because once again, you know, uh, uh, here it is that people's lives are literally being almost enabled, uh, put in danger by the very government itself. And uh, right, right, and when we right. and these type of things are what causes people to lose hope, to lose hope in the system, to lose hope inside of the things that are going on, to lose hope. Yes. And 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 those are the things that uh, we have to address. Those are the type of things that continue to, uh, for lack of a better term, these are the type of things that continue to be a problem in our society. And unfortunately, you know. People that could make a difference oftentimes don't make a difference. And when you have this type of situation that happened there where the government almost used executive power mm-hmm, to, right. to cause mm-hmm. these things to happen, then we have a yeah. real serious problem. It's a real yeah. serious problem, yeah. and we've got, to, we've, we've got to do something about it, or we're going to see more and more of these Sandy Hooks-type situations occur. And when we cannot well, afford that. We cannot afford that. It's unfortunate. That. No, we can't. It's unfortunate that it takes these type of catastrophes, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for, you know, us to move forward and really get some things done. But I'm really believing in my heart and, and watching the movement of uh, the, of things that are to come that this, um, unfortunately, this severely unfortunate event is really going to make a difference and, and they're going to not just dialogue and start talking because they've been dialoguing and talking about it, but some things are really going to have to change. I really believe in our president. I'm praying for him. He's in my prayers um, that he goes forth like I really believe he will at this time and he gets the support he needs to um, – you know, because there's several mayors that have been on this project for years, you know, the Brady Bill and other things that have been really trying to get this pushed forward. So I really think it's going to make a difference this time. Well, I, I do, too. And unfortunately, you know, these children end up becoming somewhat almost of a martyr, you know, un- involuntary mm-hmm. yes. in order for this to happen. And I, and one thing that you said is important. It makes you think about even the health care reform. And, and, you know, yes. for years, you know, you had presidents that would try and they could never get it done. And we saw President Obama kind of come come in. He made that a priority. He got it done. And so maybe, you know, unfortunately with this horrific tragedy that we will see this type of thing happen when it relates to with this type of incident here because truly 
We cannot, as a nation, continue on in this way here. You're listening to Hope yeah. and Healing, a journey to wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Fickman. I'm so glad that you've joined us. If you're listening by way of Internet, I thank you so very much for tuning in to us on the Soul of America Radio. And if you want to call in and maybe to listen or have a comment or have a question for our guests, you can call us at area code 323-784-9638, area code 323-784-9638. That is the number uh, that you can reach us right here on Hope and Healing. And uh, we're going to come back. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after this break here with my guest. That's right, Evangelist Professor LaDonna Coons. Uh, she's joining us, and our discussion is about the Sandy Hook uh, tragedy as well as the culture balance that we're in. Stay tuned. Wrap the break. Join us. Hope and Healing. A journey to Jay Thickland, after this. This is the Soul of America Radio. You can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at There in Newtown, Connecticut, and look like uh, we lost our special guest. So she'll call back in um, uh, there, and we can get her live on the airway. And um, we've been talking about the horrific uh, nature of what took place, and not to point blame, not to uh, to raise those type of issues, but to really look really deep into ourselves as a nation and really examine this whole issue as it relates to uh, not only violence in America, but how this violence impacts future generations. And uh, we're back off the break. You can reach us at area code 323-784-9638. That's 323-784-9638. We're so glad that you've joined us. And uh, we're on with our uh, special guest and friend. Uh, this is our guest here, our Professor Evangelist Aladonna Coombs, and so glad to have you with us tonight. And uh 
Uh, just so glad to have you. I didn't do a whole lot of um, intro about uh, some of the things that you're doing, and of course I know about uh, the work that you've done inside of domestic violence and so many other things. So uh, allow your opportunities just to kind of uh, share with the audience and kind of self-introduce yourself. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Thickman. Well, of course, you know, we have done some phenomenal work, you know, around the country with uh, IDVAC, the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African-American Community, and we really um, did some great curriculum, and we did some great training, done some things in so many different venues. But, here, you know, here in Michigan, I am an adjunct professor, and I've worked in, in the past at uh, Spring Arbor University, and right now we're doing curriculum for the University of Minnesota, working there and uh, taught at several different uh, community colleges, but, you know, as well as being the executive director of the Sisters Against Abuse Society uh, here in, in Detroit, Michigan. It's a domestic violence, faith-based domestic violence uh, uh, prevention uh, organization, and uh, just doing so many things, mentoring and support groups and traveling around the country and, and just trying to, uh, you know, bring, like you say, you know, hope, help, and healing, uh, you know, to uh, people who experience victimization in our communities. You know, and all those things are so uh, important there because we, we see these things spill out. You know, I often talk about uh, violence at home doesn't remain at home. Domestic violence will spill mm-hmm. out into the street, will spill out into our community, will spill out. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and not that it's been documented yet or even been discovered, and we don't know whether it exists or not, but in the case of uh, the uh, of the individual who, the perpetrator who committed this uh, atrocity, but we oftentimes see where children that have grown up witnessing domestic violence and as well as victims who have experienced uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder oftentimes find themselves, you know, in very compromised position in their lives and, and untreated and without help, we see many things happen. So the impact of that can go a long way, and I think it's something that we have to talk about. It's something that we cannot afford to uh, sweep up under the rug. It's something that, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, it's something that we have to really address. And I think until we address it, we're going to, until uh, we really address it, we're going to find ourselves chasing, like the dog chasing its tail. We'll never get to the root of some of these things here. And so it's very crucial inside of this as we even look at the tragedy here that took place, uh, you know, in uh, Newtown, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree uh, as well, Jared. There's still... You know, by the uh, perpetrator taking his own life, uh, many people talked about they wondered if they'll ever know what really motivated uh, such a, you know, uh, him to become, you know, a terrorist, a domestic terrorist here at home, other than, you know, they spoke about his issues with mental illness. But I have to wonder, you know, those guns that he had were registered to his mother, not him. Exactly. They were registered to her, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, in her, she's divorced, and, and his dad actually has remarried and, and is in another relationship. But what went on in her life um, to make her think that she needed that those type of guns in her home? You know, I, I, the, I question that part. is very unusual. Well, exactly. It's not something that one would normally see in the home, not even at a home of a single person. And to have that mm-hmm. type of firepower there, it does lead questions to, to ask, right. you know, what is it that mm-hmm. she's experienced? What is it that she's right. endured in her life that she felt that this was the level of mm-hmm. protection that she needed? Right, right. I mean, what was the fascination there or what, 
you know, were they left over, you know, from her previous relationship and she she owned them, you know, they were they were registered to her, you know, and you know, was she a gun enthusiast and you know, what a dangerous thing to have in the home, you know, for women and that's not really that's unusual for women, especially women with children in the home. You know, uh so I, you know, it may it you know, led me to think, you know, um, you know, what really could have been going on there? What was the relationship like? It could not have been too positive a relationship, but then again, like I said, I'm not sure the extent of what his mental illness was other than he had some type of dissociation, you know, uh, in his behavior because, you know, he he murdered his mother first. And, um, you know, then he went on this spree, you know, up to the school and picked these people out. So it was very very puzzling, and, and I wonder will we ever know. You know, and you're exactly right. In so many cases, we find these individuals that does either end up taking their own lives or they're killed uh, They're killed uh, uh, while being apprehended or those type things. You know, and very similar, you know, uh, we have just a different case there in, in, uh, that happened there in Colorado, there in Aurora. Mm-hmm. And so here's an mm-hmm. individual who did not take his life, and yet it's still there are so many questions to still and yet to be mm-hmm. answered from that because of the fact he was a person who we understand was a Ph.D. candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so when we, right. when we go right ahead. Uh, not, to, not to cut you off, right, he was. And the, the young man that just took his life at, at, um, in um, Connecticut was, was highly intelligent. He was borderline genius. Exactly. And so we see this happening, and what we recognize is that this happens, and sometimes the mental illnesses. But I want to kind of go back to that exposure, that exposure sometimes to traumatic events as a child, and perhaps oftentimes overlooked. You know, and perhaps mm-hmm. not discussed, not talked about. Perhaps you know, yeah. you know, and, and and this is not a blame, but this is this is a moment for us as a nation, as people, as families, and individuals to take a real good look at at what happens inside of our lives, what happened inside of children being exposed to traumatic events. You know, and it can happen. Not every child is affected the same way. Uh, kids oftentimes feel misplaced, torn apart, rejected uh, because family splits up, divorce. Children feel uh, very much uh, to blame oftentimes, even when there's mm-hmm. abuse that goes on in the home. Children oftentimes feel the blame. And then uh, in other cases, uh, you know, where they may feel like they have to perform or achieve so much, all of these uh, things that oftentimes leads and uh, lend themselves to so many things happening. That kind of pressure. Mm-hmm. And then that type of pressure there. And, you know, and I'm concerned. I'll be one to say that I'm concerned. I'm concerned because of the fact of the nature of our society. Uh, I'm looking at teachers, and I'm going back to what you're talking about there in the state of Michigan, a governor uh, actually signing, about to sign into law where uh, you can have a gun at a school and church and those type of things there. What happens to the teacher that's burned out? What happens to the danger, the escalation of things for a teacher who may really be stressed out because they're dealing with very challenging children? And what happens when a child crosses that line? We've seen it here. We see it happen all over the country where we've right, had children right. to, uh, uh, we've had, uh, you know, children of uh, both females and males to challenge teachers, uh, to literally jump on teachers and to assault them. Mm-hmm. What happens mm-hmm. if a mm-hmm. teacher now has a weapon who they now legally have? 
mm-hmm. in this type of event, right. this type of incident happened. Are we opening right. up a can of worms so that, that now that may lead to even greater tragedy and put even more lives in danger? Because now oh, the teacher, whether they feel are. like they're defending themselves or the teacher is uh, retaliating or whatever, and now we've got a real problem that have just escalated. So it goes back to saying that, once again, freedom is not the absence of boundaries, and we have to get back right. to that in our society. Right. And, I, and I definitely right. I think that we have to look at that and, um, you know, and, and really examine it closely. There are many of you that are joining us right now uh, as I look at the board here, and those of you that are joining us live by Internet, thank you for calling. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness right here on the Soul of America Radio. I'm your host, J.R. Thickland, and I'm so very glad to be joined this afternoon by uh, my dear friend, colleague, uh, professor, and evangelist, uh, LaDonna Coombs, uh, and who's doing a tremendous work there in so many areas with our uh, sister to sister and, and so much work that she's done in the area of violence and abuse and domestic violence and so many other things. And this is a real conversation here because we're talking about where violence here has taken on this type of shape. When we understand mm-hmm. that the, the first victim that he killed was his mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to go to the place where she's worked or volunteered or whatever, and to now target the children. There are many mm-hmm. speculations that have come about uh, as a result of this. Uh, you know, it's already been said that they consider her a little bit overbearing. Uh, do we mm-hmm. know whether or not she uh, – did he resent her because of the fact she had expectations of her? Uh, you know, uh, did, did he now see these little kids as uh, – maybe she he felt that she viewed them as being perfect? Uh, mm-hmm. There are a number of different scenarios that plays into this. But the reality mm-hmm. is, is that we have a real issue here because of the mm-hmm. fact of – he was able to go there to the school, was able to uh, do what he did, and now people are saying, well, we need more metal detectors. We need all of these things. Really, how far do we go as a nation before we realize that we have a value problem? That's a problem that goes deeper than even those things. I think it's a value problem in America. It is the value of life. It's the lack of value of life. It's the lack of respect of life, and I think it permeates and it continues to permeate into the place that we're seeing is spill into the very, the very uh, classrooms of our society, and we've got to address that. I'm afraid that can't be, uh, that cannot be enforced by a law. That has to be enforced right. by an internal law. That's true. And and what you were saying about our freedoms, we really don't have freedom unless we're safe. Exactly. What good is it to you to have freedom or, or to have freedom to do this and do that, but freedom only exists within the parameters of feeling safe? You're exactly right. In the communities right. and in your societies, whatever culture you're functioning in, well, you know, whatever, whatever area, whether you're at work or whether you're at play, if you don't feel safe, you don't have freedom. You know? You're exactly so right. It has to, the whole thing has to be rethought. Uh, look, we have callers on the board. If you'd like to have a comment or a question today, as we're discussing right now the tragedy that took place at Sandy Hook Elementary on this past Friday, uh, please, if you're calling by phone, just hit the number one on your keypad to let our engineer know that you desire to have a question or a comment, and uh, we will acknowledge you and get you on the airway. Just hit the number one. We invite your comment uh, definitely inside of this. Know that some of you that are listening, your parents, yourself, you, some of you are educators that work at schools, some of you are out there. 
you're, you know, you, you have dealt with this, our mental health issues, your mental health uh, technician, and we would love to have your comment there. We do have there. And, uh, uh, LaDonna, why don't we take a caller here, a caller okay. there with your number ending in 4033. Thank you so very much for calling. Welcome to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. You're on the air, caller. Hello. How are you doing? We're doing great. How are you? Fine. Fine. Doing wonderful. Um, I had a, a basically a comment, and then um, I wanted to ask your your guest a, a question. Um, what bothers me about um, about this whole thing is, if you look back over the history since I guess around 1999 with Columbine, mm-hmm. um, 2000. I'm sorry, 2007. We had a VA tech massacre. I believe 30 plus people were killed. In March of 2009. Um, I think we had a guy in Alabama kill 10 people. Right. Uh, and then we had a guy in New York kill 13 people. Uh, November, that uh, psychiatrist, Hassan, went to Fort Hood and killed 13 people. Then, of course, the Dark Knight Massacre in uh, July of this year, who killed 12. Um, what, what I find to be sort of disturbing is that uh, when these things first happen, um, it's in the news. It's the talk of Facebook. Uh, it's the it's 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 and, and I'm sad to say that although in this situation it is very tragic, the news the news uh, shows have to get ratings. And so what they're doing is we, we flood it in the news. And what I'm finding mistaken, what I find that when the news pulls it away. And goes on to politics or something else. It tends to look like the rest of society follows that that news media, and we go back into something else. It might be, I think the thing looming now is the president and this thing him and Bohammer are doing. Uh, after this, and before that, it was the uh, that tragic um, hurricane. Well, yeah. my, my point is, is that. It seems as though with the media being the way it is with, with Facebook and Twitter and uh, us having access to news more now uh, with CNN and these 24-hour news stations, it seems easy for people to get distracted from something like this and to move on to the next story. Not to say that they aren't genuinely sincere when this happens, but we tend to, from what I've seen, it'll, it'll be the talk for a while, but when the media pulls out, look at the Michael Jackson, uh, uh, no, Kay, Kaylee, uh, the young girl that was killed. Kaylee, uh, yeah, by her right here. Mom, oh. yeah. Right. Well, that was hot, man. It was hot as fish grease. Well, as soon as the media pulled away from this uh, little girl being killed, and everyone said, I'll never forget you, most people, including myself, now I'm kind of embarrassed, can't tell you the full name of everybody involved. Because we've gone on to something else, and I find that a disturbing pattern that we we tend to follow the media. My next comment was, we when we speak of gun control, I'm wondering if we're just talking about a band aid because taking the gun out of a person's hand will stop them temporarily, but if their mind is triggered by something to kill. To me, in my mind, they're going to follow that through in some type of way, and it may slow them down or hinder them. 
But look at the video games now promoting killing, violence. Mm -hmm. I think the Columbine um, killings may have been inspired, I believe they say, by some of the video games. Look at the rap songs, not all rap, but some of the hardcore rap that advocates killing police officers and wiping the blood off like it's milk off your face and walking off. Look at the way the TV portrays violence. Like uh, the young lady was 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 speaking of, they've got all kind of different shows out there, like the vampire shows that, in its, in its own way, promotes a type of violent activity. So I'm wondering if we take away the guns from these people, are we really dealing with a band-aid issue? Because I know it will slow it down, uh, but I'm wondering, will it really solve the problem? And my question is, that leads me to my question is, from what I've seen on statistics, uh, most of the criminals, because anytime you kill somebody, you're a criminal, that get guns and the people that aren't supposed to get guns are getting it through a business, it's very big business, of gun trafficking, okay? And it moves guns through legal manufacturer dealers to criminals, okay? If we ban guns, guns are still going to be created legally, Okay, and man, they're still going to be manufactured legally. So that won't really stop that gun trafficking, I, I'm assuming in my mind. So my question is, 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 is basically getting to the gun control issue. I am, let me say, first of all, I am an advocate for gun control. Mm -hmm. But will that solve what we are really looking at now? It may slow it down some, but with the gun trafficking being such big business, these guys, let me tell you, and I don't, I don't, I hate to say this on the air because I might get investigated, but even uh, if you go on the internet, you can go to National Gun Victims, what GunVictimsAction.org, it will tell you that there's corruption in the federal government with licensed dealers, licensed gun dealers, federally licensed gun dealers that are assisting some of these traffickers. So, what do you think about that? Do you think that that might be something that might not get us fully where we want to go? Or do you think that if we control the gun, we control what's happening? Well, and, and that's a very good question um, that you ask. I think um, it's not so much as it, it wouldn't be a Band-Aid so much, I think, for gun control because then it gives a mainstream of where to look for the guns where they are. Right now, anybody you know, you need to keep track of at least who's buying them. Anybody can go to a gun show and buy a semi-automatic weapon. They don't know whether they've been released to the hospital. They don't know whether they have a criminal history. Um, you know, they don't know whether they've been trained or whether they have a license to even buy the gun. Because truly, if someone wants to do some damage, you know, um, and guns aren't on the street, they could, you know, people know how to make explosives and bombs, and they blow things up as well. But they, but when you buy certain products and, and obtain certain things, there's like a, a tracking system, almost like controlled substances, prescription drugs, and different things like that. So um, you're right. It would seem like it would be a Band-Aid, but if you had gun control, you'd have more of a paper trail or you'd have more of um, – you know, a consistency of who we actually allow to get guns and how they're obtained. Right now, you can just obtain them any kind of way. I mean, just, just any anybody can go buy one. So um, I think that's really important 
um, for gun control. I think there needs to be background checks. I think there needs to be, you know, things need to be registered. And, and I don't think you need to be able to have certain guns unless you, you know, you legally are supposed to have them. Because inadvertently, if somebody really wants to do something, you're right, they're going to do it. But we at least need to have a bigger, a, a better trail of consistency on how we monitor how these weapons are um, are used and how they're just in everyday common society. Because you're going to have gun runners and you're going to have, just like you have drugs, you know, and, and illegal cocaine use and smuggling. And they were talking about the borders and border patrol and everything. So they've kind of got a system about who should and who shouldn't. But when you have everyday citizens, um, no matter who you are, being able to obtain guns, that's a problem. And I wanted to share one statistic, uh, and I appreciate your answer uh, mm-hmm. before I got off. Uh, it was from, I like to give my sources, GunVictimsAction.org. It said, and it's quite alarming, on an average day in the United States, guns are used to kill more than 80 people. On a day, in a day, injure more than 300 people and commit approximately 3,000 crimes. It says that since John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, listen to this, more Americans have been shot and killed on our own soil than in all the 20th century wars combined. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's quite yeah. a number. And when we hear those type things there, well, maybe that's a problem. We don't hear those type things enough. Those are the type things that we don't hear enough. And once again, wow. because we don't, here it is. Once, the culture of violence is here. It is here. Uh, and you talk about a civilized nation. You talk about a civilized nation in a, in a civilized nation that is literally, I mean, that is destroying itself from the inside out. We're talking about terrorist attack. What are we saying? Is death only, is death and violence only a problem if it's happening from the outside in, and that we're tolerable with the violence that happened from the inside out? Because that's almost the message that is being sent here because mm-hmm. of the fact that we're not addressing these issues. And that is, that's, right. an, that's astonishing to think about. Right, and and well, you know, and it's being hinged on, you know, and, and impeaching on people's or, or, you know, the reproach on your civil liberties. You know, I have the right to carry a gun, and, and it goes back to the to the NRA, you know, who literally bullies legislators and government officials about taking my gun away from me. Wow, and it's amazing. You know, you, you recall, and I know that you're, you know, the, the, for those that are listening here, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Thicklin. I'm so glad that you've joined us here uh, as we're discussing not only the culture of violence, but specifically we've been talking about the tragic incident that took place at Sandy Hook Elementary School here on just this past Friday. And uh, one of the things that has been so important is the very culture, the nature of violence that we're seeing there. If you're listening today, uh, if you're listening tonight, uh, area code 323-784-9638, that's the number that you can call in and listen. If you have a question or comment, hit the number one, and we will acknowledge you and uh, and uh, get you on the airway today. Uh, but I, I did want to say this, is that that we we are facing violence and a culture of violence that is happening more and more, and that literally that um, when we see this type of violence that is going on, almost unhinged, um, everybody wants to smoke you. Everyone has a gun, 
Everyone mm-hmm. wants to talk about that. I don't know what has happened to the conscience of America other than the fact to say that in many ways that we have veered off the path. We've come off the road. I can recall that myself, I abandoned uh, getting my boys uh, a gun. Matter of fact, I never allowed them to have gun. I mean, even when right, I was little, right. we were allowed to have cap gun. But as the prevalence of gun violence became uh, more and more, uh, more and more uh, prevalent, I should say that, uh, mm-hmm. I I definitely did not want them to have anything to emulate guns. Not a water right. gun, not a cap gun, not a you know, not a sub gun, none of those things because of the fact it became once again that object, that symbol of violence, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. sad that we've gotten to that place in today's society. And and unfortunately in urban America, uh uh a um a badge of honor for manhood. Exactly. You know? It's become you know, and be, yes, you know, for to you know, the the hyper masculine posturing of being able to um, do what it is you need to do, you know, in your communities. And, 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 and am I am I still on? Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I wanted to make another interesting comment. Uh, I've noticed online when I was looking at our, uh, I think it's HuffingtonPost dot com. It says that this incident that happened at Sandy Hook actually sparks a gun sale surge. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yes. Wow. And that's something. That's incredible. Well, you know, they, they gave a statistic as well um, uh, saying that we have enough murders from gun, uh, gun-related gun murders in this country uh, in a year's time of a 747 being filled and crashing once a week for a year. Wow. Boy, and then once again, I think it underscores what we're talking about, this whole culture. It's a culture of Mm -hmm. violence here. It's a culture of violence. And then our art imitates it all. We see it happening. Everything that you see, if it's worth anything, is is bang, bang, blow it up. It is uh it's explosive, it's uh it's it's gun violence, it is the uh uh it is what we see. Uh we you know, our heroes now are these individuals that uh you know, uh that are that are actually perpetrating these type of action, we uh, mm-hmm. we associated with it. The whole gangster thing, you know, this mm-hmm. is who we mm-hmm. ascribe to be. You know, we're not anyone unless we're unless we're carried on with these type of things. So we do have a society, and the thing about it, the society where uh, it's getting younger and younger, younger and younger, where we're seeing yes, these type of things yes, happen. Our small mm-hmm. kids. Our young boys, once again, as you said, it is some type of badge of honor. You know, everybody wants to smoke somebody. Someone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, somebody going to light someone on fire, and that's become mm-hmm. our way. And the re- the reality is, is that until we begin to look very deeply as a nation, and really begin to understand that there's some things here that 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 we've got to d- address with. We cannot live under fear, and we cannot combat fear by saying, "Let's grab our guns." You can recall right, right. when President Obama ran uh, for president in the first term. It was one of the is one of the things that they jumped on him about when he was talking about uh, when he made the comment about people uh, grabbing their guns and you know and, mm-hmm. and clinging to their guns and thing. And he was talking about that. He was talking about those that literally was captivated by fear. You know, uh, and that's what they right. did. They cling to their guns and their and their their religion. And uh, the thing about it is that we are living in a day and time where we're literally seeing our victims becoming younger and younger. Yeah, 
there's yeah. not a safe yeah. place. Uh, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, the shootings in schools. We're talking about mm-hmm. shootings that are happening in churches. We're talking about shootings mm-hmm. that are happening in public places such as malls and department stores. We're seeing shootings happen in restaurants. Where, do it, mm-hmm. where does it stop? Where does it stop? We, yes. uh, on a more as well, on a more positive note, one a couple of things that came out of the shooting with the uh, pro football player, with the giant that um, shot his girlfriend and then shot himself, I think seven to nine maybe of his teammates um, uh, voluntarily uh, turned in their weapons that yes. were on the team. And I think they had another – a gun buyback uh, program, and I'm not sure whether it was in Chicago or whether it was in in uh, Washington or somewhere else, where they were giving out $200 gift cards from Walmart or from Target. If you brought your gun in, they said it was very positive, and it, but they had no arrests, and they said it would be no questions. So a lot, it also has, um, you know, kind of ignited people to say, you know what, I got to get this gun out of here. This is not what I want to happen. You're, you're exactly right, and, and those type of things happen. I did see that report, too, where people were turning in their guns, and I think mm-hmm. the, more of those opportunities need to exist where people can mm-hmm. turn in their guns. And one of the things, you know, as you allude to the case there that happened with the NFL player, which we discussed a week or so ago, uh, mm-hmm. Javon Belter there with the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the things mm-hmm. that I'm hoping, and I know that we'll both work on this one hard, is that as a result of this tragedy, that happened there, that perhaps the NFL will take a second look at at their views on even domestic violence and the things of that yes. nature. You know, yes. we've talked about yes. how they are they are a national uh, you know, they're they're a national partner there with the uh with the uh breast cancer awareness and uh but but by the I mean they're wearing pink during the whole month of October. What what about them now in in lieu of this type of thing happening, actually taking a proactive stand with domestic violence because in so many cases we've seen violence in uh, by gun violence. We've seen abuse. And that, yes, mm-hmm. and that's true. Statistically, domestic violence is higher around Super Bowl season. Exactly. So we we, we there there's a reason to continue to to. Um, Make sure that this message is out there, and we see these things mm-hmm. happening, and we we have to. There there is we don't have the luxury at this point in time. We're raising another generation of of, mm-hmm. of, of people that are becoming more and more violent because of the fact mm-hmm. this is what we see. It is what we emulate. This is the thing that we do. Yes. And so we have it to take and it's glamorized too much. Those of you that are listening right now, feel free. Uh, we will acknowledge your call there. Those of you that are listening at um, soulofamericaradio.com, uh, right there in the tab there with the Hope and Healing tab. And for those of you that also that may be listening or would like to call in, area code 323-784-9638, we welcome your opinion. If you have a question, we're not only talking about just a Sandy Hook um, elementary uh, uh, massacre that happened there, but we're talking about the culture of violence and whatever you like to bring up along these lines. I know that we have some educators out there, perhaps first responders. We're, we're having people out there with young children. We invite your comment. We invite your question. Uh, just hit the number one on your keypad once you call in. You've got to let us know that you have a question or comment. Mm-hmm. So uh, having said that, um, one of the things that I, I definitely wanted to make sure that we touched on was the fact of, um, you know, uh, the finality. I, I think that this that we have a problem with really tying uh, the finality of death. 
our young people that are yeah. playing uh, these games, uh, our people that are watching movies. You know, they see this guy get killed in one movie, but he shows up again in another movie. He shows up again mm-hmm. on DVD. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. are we getting it that, that death has a finality to it? Well, you know, it's so important um, with that that uh, we have to go back to what's going on in the home. You know, we really need to get our communities won't be as strong um, as they could be unless there are two parents in the home, number one, or unless, you know, your children, you know what they're watching and you are take responsibility for what information they receive in your home and what type of entertainment goes on in your home, you know, um, that we're going to have to, with the guns and things happening in school, it's going to have to go back to families are going to have to partner with teachers like the time of old um, to reduce a lot of these the things and a lot a lot of the lethalities that's going on. It's going to take uh, the families to do it to help. Well, I totally agree, and, and that's one of the areas that once again, you know, when we begin to really talk about accountability. We begin to talk about not only accountability of uh, of the system, but the accountability of parents. Because by mm-hmm. the same token, we yeah. cannot just put our kids on a bus or send our kids mm-hmm. to school, you know, knowing that we're having issues with them or things that we've not done, and then we expect the school to make a transformation out of their lives. It doesn't work right. that way. We have to be a, a we have to be about it. We have to take some personal responsibility uh, for our children and the things that happen with them that they. Excuse me, that they do. We have to take that mm-hmm. responsibility because if we fail to take that responsibility, what we're saying is the fact we're, we're passing the buck. Somebody else. Yes. You yes. take care of this matter, and that's not for right. someone else to do. And we have to. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm one, and I know that it's not a popular thing, but I'm, I'm definitely one for those that um, – you know, that if you're going to utilize, whether it's assistance, if you're going to utilize things that are privy to you, then I think there has to be an accountability. You know, yes. uh, you can continue to get services after services, but you're never involved in the life of your kid. You're never, you don't right. attend one meeting. You don't attend one, you don't come to PTA. You don't come to the school advisory council. You're not there to help nurture or shape or direct or guide your children. And so, therefore, guess what? The teacher is having to deal with your child uh, in the midst of uh, trying to teach a class, and therefore it's affecting everyone else's children. And we have to hold people accountable uh, for that so that they, they may understand that, you know, this is all of our problem. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we have to not only stand up, but we have to take responsibility. That's true, because the children we lost this past week, those children belong to a nation. You know, those, that was all of our children. Exactly, and I think uh, I think uh, President Obama uh, definitely summed it up so 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 uh, well when he talked about the fact that them of uh, those children being all of our children, and they mm-hmm. represented yes. all of us, and that's something that in our uh, you know, that we have to, and that's what's been missing, that sense of family, that sense of community, mm-hmm. and we need that sense of community to return, and that's so very important. We're going to take a break, right up on a break. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, D.R. Thicklin, and I thank you for joining us here on the Soul of America Radio. A very special guest, a professor and evangelist, LaDonna Cole. So glad to have her on the other side of the break. We'd love to have you. Give us a call.
from coast to coast, east to west. This is the Soul of America Radio. My name is Bernadette Stannis, and you know me as Thelma from the TV show Good Times. And I am hanging out with Tony on the Soul of America Radio. God, needing the force of wisdom in a relationship, needing a new direction to go in, in an abusive situation, that's why we're here, this is the Soul of America Radio. Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklight, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. We're right at the almost a final stretch here on uh, tonight's show as we've been uh, talking about the tragic incident that happened there at Sandy uh, Hook Elementary there in Newtown, Connecticut. And I'm so glad to be joined with our very special guest here, uh, Professor and Evangelist uh, LaDonna Coombs. Uh, and, uh, and she's done some tremendous work. We've done a lot of work together. And this whole issue of violence, or violence, uh, it's definitely something that uh, concerns us. It is something that we continue to uh, combat and to address in our day-to-day lives and hopefully continue to do work that will raise these issues and offer hope and solution to so many that are being impacted. You know, one of the things I, I want to say is this, is that, you know, the question is actually about where were the warning signs, and we don't always see the warning signs of these type of situations because actually a lot of times those warning signs are seen uh, between that person and the person that they uh, may be closest to. In this case here, it was uh, the uh, perpetrators. It was his mother. And uh, sadly, sadly, uh, she was killed by the very guns that she owned. And, uh, and he then took those guns and goes to a elementary school and reap havoc that we have not known. And uh, just for a second, you know, uh, I want you to kind of address a little bit of what are some of the things that we think that these kids are going to, the, the remaining kids, uh, that teach that classroom, that school itself, uh, that they're going to be going through, you know, uh, some of the special intervention that is going to be needed. So I just want you to kind of elaborate a little bit about what happens in this sense of post-traumatic, uh, post-incident uh, post type of grief and mourning. Uh, well, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, professionals were saying that with kids, with little kids, PTSD looks a little different than it looks for adults. You know, little kids, when they have this type of trauma, tend to uh, regress back. 
you know, they, they become even childlike. They start wetting the bed uh, again and crying and, and become more clingy to their parents. Whereas, you know, they're getting older, they're in school, they're getting their little independence, you know, when they're six and seven years old. But for them, uh, trauma looks really different. They start to go back um, and, and, you know, uh, start to emulate when they were younger. And um, they really, you know, the different parents, as I've been looking at in, uh, CNN, they've been doing a great job of trying to, you know, really give a well-rounded story about the whole community and the, and the families. Um, some parents are saying, you know, that the kids know that they're siblings, you know, there was a twin, and uh, other siblings, they know that they uh, won't be coming home, that they passed away, but they don't know how they passed away. And then uh, some hadn't even began to tell them that kids were killed in the school. Some kids came home, and the kids that were that survived don't know that the children, you know, how they were killed. They know they, that they passed away, but they don't know uh, how, you know, that they were killed. And so different parents are doing different approach. They were saying they definitely need to take, let the kids take the lead on how much they want to talk about uh, what it is, you know, uh, uh, they need and, and kind of gradually take them through, you know, uh, the questions that they're going to have and, and try to assure them, the ones that do know, that, you know, this is an incident that happened and, they can't guarantee that this won't happen again anywhere in life, but to try to tell their children, try to reassure them that the likelihood of this happening again, this is not going to happen anymore. You're going to be safe. We're going to keep you safe. We're taking precautions to do that, not to worry. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of challenges there that they need a lot of help from professionals to help them with this trauma. And that is so very true. And when these type of things happen in, in communities as, uh, uh, such as this or in any of our communities, and, uh, how important it is, uh, I mean, definitely we saw that community come together, as we have seen with each community where we've had these type of mass murders happening. But but one of the things uh, that, that, uh, that, that our caller talked about, he talked about what seems to be a pattern in our society, and that is that as long as it's a hot issue with the media, it stays in the forefront of people's mind. But when it's no longer being carried as a hot issue with the media, it seems to become a distant thought. So is that part of what is contributing to what I consider the desensitizing of our conscience as a people? I mean, do we see these things so much that it, that it doesn't bother us? Or, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an issue at the time. You know, what does it? What Does it provoke change? Does it... The, you know, inside of the way that we do things, or do we, do we as a people, just to find, do we just find a way to get back to quote unquote business as usual? Well, and and the caller, the first caller, that was very interesting, him saying that, and you know, and I, I that really resonated with me when he mentioned that about you know, as long as it's on the lips of the media, then it's on the lips of the country, you know, but. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, just like with the Trayvon Martin case and other cases where, you know, the, the gentleman, you know, shot the, the boy. Um, and uh, even with uh, other incidents, I think it goes back to community, you know, whether the media is talking about it or not. And there's so many hot-button things that can go on. Sometimes it seems like lately in our country, one after another, you know, before, you know, Sandy Cook, it was Hurricane Sandy, you know, exactly. who took off took, you know, everything out in New York, 
in Jersey along the line. But it is, you know, and but the reason that there was so much exposure really to the thing with Trayvon Martin is because the community got behind that issue. You know, there are issues that, that are going to be matter more to certain areas or cultures or communities that they have to push, you know, and, and get things done. It's so funny. You know, we talked about, and this is off the subject, you know, about uh, gay marriage and legalizing everything. You know, they keep some of the things that resonate with them uh, in the forefront about what matters for their community and their culture and what they think makes their life work or how they want their rights looked at. And it's with anything else, with the gun control, when you lose somebody, somebody killed in your community, it really is up to the families, to the to the community, to, to keep your issues that affect your culture, that affect your families and your societies in the forefront. Because it, it, you're right, it makes a, a hot-button issue while it's there, while it's so that they have something else to give a statistic or a name or, or a phobia or, or, you know, or something else, but who does it matter to the most, you know, and who's going to be affected by the outcome of, of what's happened, we have to keep things in the forefront. I know uh, John Walsh, you know, when his son Adam Walsh was murdered all those years ago, you know, yeah, that was a horrible thing, but look what he did, you know. He, he you know, uh, created the, the, uh, the federal program for missing and exploited children, and they're on the back of milk cartons, and America's Most Wanted. That was an issue for him that was traumatic, but look at the blessing that came out of uh, the sacrifice of such a precious angel, his son, he used that momentum to save a whole lot of other children. And I think that's what we have to do with these angels that have gone, uh, that the Lord, that are resting in heaven with the Lord, who wants all the perfect and, and perfect things with him. Uh, um, now we have to do some more work to make sure this doesn't happen to other children because the gunman had well over 100 rounds when he died. So he exactly. could have taken out the whole school. Entire school. He could, yes, he could have, but you know, God didn't let it go that way. It was, it, it's a tragedy, and even one child loss is one too many. But he just could have took everybody out. So, exactly you know, right, and and, and you mm-hmm. said something I thought was so important. There is that you know when you when you reference people like Adam Walsh and others, there Adam mm-hmm. took this pain. And he turned that pain into power. He turned it into a vehicle and a platform that would, would that would save others. That will be there to yeah, John Walsh did others. And that's what he mm-hmm. he did that. And I and that's the question that now is that how do we as a nation, as a community, as a people, begin to take this pain and turn it into something positive or a power so that others won't that we can that this that these type of things can end that it can stop because of the fact. That is pain. I, I thought about the little the little one that you made reference to it about the one of the kids who had a twin. Imagine how mm-hmm. that's going to be very lonely going forth, and the whole disconnect mm-hmm. of that individual. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many questions to be asked. There are so many things to be answered. But the one thing I think that we as a people owe it to our nation, we owe it to ourselves, is that we can't soon forget. We have right. to keep in mind to not allow these young. people these young innocent souls' lives to have been taken in vain. That that there's something that comes that comes out of it inside of this. Right. Whether it's things that address mental health issues, mental health laws, whether it's things that that address security. Period. Because I think every person in America, every school in America, had to have felt very vulnerable 
very vulnerable after this incident mm-hmm. happened. Yes, I think yes. about it. You know, and, and my heart goes out to school teachers. It goes out to administrators. It goes out to every part of the faculty and part of the staff there at the schools because, of the fact, you know, it took the very special person and inside of these teachers here that literally hovered over their children and shield them mm-hmm. and literally yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, as an evangelist, you know, Pastor Thicklin, I really believe that as a religious community we should lobby, you know, more to put prayer back into schools. We never should have taken a loud, um, you know, that um, they checkmated us with that, taking prayer out of schools. It, it needs to come back in some form or fashion. Bobby, I think that when people take a moment, in the, I mean, a moment of the day uh, to to pray, to acknowledge mm-hmm. God. I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many things that happen when we pray. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, it's one of the things that, that really changed the culture of our... Yes, it changes things, prayer does. ...of our society, and it does. And I'll say this and, and before we let you go. We're so glad. You've been mm-hmm. a great guest. So glad to have oh. you. Look so forward to having you back again. One of the things that we do know is this is that we, as uh, especially as Christians, we're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. Yes. We can change yes. the environment of our country. And I continue to say that we have a problem in America. I think one of the things we have to check ourselves in the door, I think we have a light problem. We've got to stand up again and let our light shine. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that yeah. we forgot. When we were growing up, our little favorite song as a little boy was "This Little Light of Mine." I'm gonna let it shine, and I'm afraid that we have we have we have uh, we have totally forgot about what that light is, and we don't let it shine. We have a selective light. We hide it up under the bushel. We look to be approved of other folks, but I think our light has to shine because I believe that light will always outshine darkness. It will always do yes. so. But we yes. have to let that light shine. We have to stand up for those that are we have to stand up for the most vulnerable ones. We have to we have to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. We have to be the voice to those who can't speak for themselves. And we have to be truly the light. Not just a church yes. not just a church family. But we have to be the light because that's the one thing that he said that if we let our light so shine before men, uh, they will they will see our good work. And then they yeah. will glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So that's mm-hmm. what we have to get to. I think that it's very crucial in the time that we live in that we make it happen. I thank you so very much. I'm looking forward to some of the work that we're going to be doing real soon mm-hmm. uh, together. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad to have you. I don't know if you want to uh, leave any information with our audience, uh, uh, you know, about your programs there or how to reach you well, or any of those things there. <laughs> Yes, yes, we have we have a website. The Sisters Against Abuse Society has a website, and it's at www.sistersagainstabusesociety.com. We have a blog there. You can blog by faith and talk to me and leave some information there. And um, that's a great way to communicate with us and to dialogue about some of these things that are going on about uh, violence, hope, and healing. And, and uh, Pastor Thickler, I want to thank you for having such a wonderful program and for getting the information out in the country that's so desperately needed um, for just informing people and bringing awareness. And I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate your callers calling your caller and dialoguing with me. I truly enjoy it, and I really look forward to coming back. Thank you so very much. We look forward to having you back, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so very much for being with us tonight. Thank you. All right. God bless. God bless. 
Well, what a great guest we had on tonight here with uh, Professor and Evangelist Donna Coombs uh, there with the Sister Against Abuse Society. Uh, she's adjunct professor there in the Detroit area, and we're so glad to have had her on the show today. Listen, we only have just a few minutes left, and I want to open up. This is what I'm going to call open mic, open line to all the Excuse me, to all of you that may be listening, um, this is open line, open mic. Um, please, you can call at area code 323 784 9638. That's area code 323 784 9638. And we welcome you, your question, your comment, anything that you'd like to address as it relates to hope and healing and to the tragedy that just occurred. And we want you to have a voice inside of this. So we welcome you even right now. Uh, uh, please hit the number one and that on your keypad, and that will let us know that you desire to have something to say, and we welcome your call at this point. I'd like to know, what was your reaction? What was your first thought when you heard of the tragedy? What was your first thought when you heard of the tragedy there in Newtown, Connecticut? Where were you when you heard of the tragedy? And uh, how has that affect you as it relates to children since that time? I welcome you once again, Erico 323. 784-9638. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin. Uh, so hit that number one, and we will acknowledge you and give you an opportunity to share your comments, ask your question. It's very important. I will say this. For me, it was very interesting because, in fact, on Friday, this past Friday, uh, my family and I, my wife and uh, I, and uh, my uh, three younger sons were on our way to Tallahassee, Florida, uh, there uh, for my daughter, my only girl, um, uh, graduation. She was graduating there. She graduated there from the great Florida A&M University. Uh, she uh, graduated there with a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. And, uh, and we were there to celebrate and be a part of that historic event. That's my first college graduate. And uh, I say one down and four to go. So, and uh, they're right. Uh, they're right behind each other. So they'll they'll be leaving, uh, going off to school. And my daughter, I very proud of her. We were there with her. Uh, she actually uh, got a degree in three years, uh, and she's looking forward to as she head on to a grad school. And uh, she's going to be doing some great things. But as I was saying, uh, you know, we were on our way there. And once we got there into the hotel and we checked in and it happened to turn on the television and we see the breaking news and we see all of this information about the tragedy that had happened. And people, I tell you, I was stunned. I, my heart dropped. Uh, I felt I felt overwhelmed. I felt I began to weep. Uh, and I, I think it was very personal for me because, in fact, there I was coming to celebrate my daughter graduating from college and, um, and thinking at the same time, here were parents, here were little children who won't get that opportunity. Here were small children that will not get a chance to, to – uh, graduate not even from elementary school, won't get a chance to dream their dreams and do those things. And I thought about their lives being taken so soon, so suddenly, and so violently. And so it definitely impacted my whole entire afternoon. It impacted by evening. Even as I sat there inside of that uh, great auditorium stadium there, you know, as happy as I was for my daughter, Japricia, graduating, my mind still drifted and thought about these families. And I, and I not only prayed for them, and I continue to pray for them, but it was really a very interesting 
um, and a very mixed emotion, mixed feeling that happened there. And uh, I don't know about you and your experience there, but I just want to know, where were you? Do you remember where you were? Uh, what was your reaction when you first heard of this massacre that happened there at Sandy Hook Elementary there in Newtown, Connecticut? Area code 323-784-9638. That's area code 323-784-9638. That's the way to reach us. Hit the number one on your keypad, and we will acknowledge your question or comment. We invite you to come on right right now. We'd love to have your comment right now uh, uh, to just hear where were you? How have this affected you since that time? Have you been impacted? Have it, have it made you look at your children a little differently? Do you now kind of really not take it for granted that when they leave out, you know, um, you know, just assume that they all come back? Are are you embracing them a little bit more? Do you find yourself now just being more attentive? All of these things are important, and um, you know, I just want your opinion tonight. Uh, and love to hear what you have to say inside of um, uh, the whole incident that happened um, at Newtown, Connecticut, at Sandy Hook Elementary. And uh, what a tragedy. And our nation continues to pray. We must continue to pray. We must continue to lift up this group. We must continue to um, really uh, pay very close attention to our loved ones and to different ones. And, and uh, mental illnesses is so true and it's so real. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm saying that on next Monday night, that's mo- next Monday night, will you, are you kidding me? It will be Christmas Eve next Monday night. I can hardly believe it. But we'll be on the air next Monday night. We have a very, very special guest that will be with us, uh, uh, retired sergeant, um, uh, Antoinette McLean will be with us. She's going to be addressing the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think that's going to be one of the most interesting shows that we've had because she's going to address post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, what it is, uh, the truth about it. How does it impact us? How does it impact? Because that's a diagnosis that was originally given to veterans of war. And, and, and definitely our military veterans are oftentimes uh, impacted by that. We've seen several times we seen them come from overseas, and we've seen uh, massacres happen as a result of it, and post-traumatic stress disorder is real. And on next uh, Monday night, uh, Sergeant, uh, retired Sergeant uh, Edward, uh McClain will be our special guest. She'll be talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, she'll be talking about the impact not only on life, but the impact that it has on, on veterans. And what should we be doing as a nation? What should we be doing to Help our soldiers, our men and women in uniform that have been on the battlefield and they return home. What should we be doing? I mean, many of them do come home, and many of them are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And many of them have many other psychological issues that happen as a result of it. But uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is something that happened to them. And we have a responsibility as a nation to look after those that have looked after us. We have a responsibility as a nation not only to do that, but to make sure that our veterans that come, that return home, they should not be in a position of compromise. They should not be returning home and only to become homeless. They should not be the ones that are without services and things. And we're going to be addressing those issues there uh, with uh uh, retired Sergeant uh, Antoinette McLean, and uh, she she will have so much to share with us as it relates to this whole issue of post-traumatic stress disorder. So I'm asking that you would join us on, that's right, join us on next week, next Monday, the same time, 
same station. Uh, you can reach us here at www.soulofamericaradio.com. And until that time, we're going to close it out right at 1045. We're going to do so. That's 1045 on the Eastern Time Zone. And until that time, this is J.R. Thicklin, and I'm saying to you, thank you for having joined us. Join us. That's right, next Monday for Hope and Healing, a journey to hold us. Thank you. You've been so kind. Thank you for joining us. We look to hear from you. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us by email, manofpurpose.com at gmail.com this is this continuum those impacted there in Newtown, Connecticut God bless you